Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of The Boldly Immortal. The following conversation was recorded on the 12th of February, and I hope it will be the first of a number of conversations on this topic. Uh, Apologies for the issue. Uh, the, The whole conversation can't be recorded because my mic cut out at certain points, so I've attempted to include whatever uh, key insightful sections for um, from other uh, members of the conversation as much as possible. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's just me who is not uh, not able to be heard in some of those later points. So I will try to include any key points that I have uh, to try and fill in the blanks retroactively. Uh, apologies for that. And I'll hope to fix up my recording setup and have a little bit better handle of it next time. So uh, without further ado, the main reason I wanted to be a part of some conversation, broadly speaking, was to understand what is this? Um, what are we working towards? Because there's a lot of different conversations that will happen, especially on someplace like Discord. Online, everyone wants to create their own little, like, hey, we're doing some cool thing. And from what I've seen, that's not the, that's not the specific trajectory, that there's, there's actually a desire among the men who are here to do something positive together for the sake of Christendom as it once was, but perhaps more so as it yet can be still um, to try yes. and, and give in America a, a people, right? Uh, that was a word I know Trent pulled out uh, at the end of the last conversation, a people, um, a nation, a, a home for those who actually want to live in conscience uh, and uh, righteous communities uh, so that that's something i'm i'm all behind uh, the the image that i'm playing with myself right now is building walls um that nehemiah and this is a uh again i heard from that previous conversation doug wilson was referenced he's got a, a pretty good book on how to build alternative communities or at least how they're doing it over in his area called uh gashmu hath said uh, hath said it um referencing a passage out of uh, Nehemiah where the the people are slandered by this guy as he says, well, they're, they're just trying to rebel against the king. They're just trying to resist and do their own thing and revolt. And it doesn't seem like that's the intention. Um, that's not actually what we want to do. We just want to be godly. Uh, but to do so, we need to build walls. We need to have a safe place for our children and our people to come and worship God in conscience uh, and live out Christian lives. Is that is that the plan? That's pretty much that's pretty much exactly what we're talking about here. In fact, I I even referenced that in the paper that I wrote that kind of led to this is the fact that you know at one point in time we had borders and the point that we have reached now we're not even allowed to try to say those borders exist let alone try to enforce them and are, are you referring to it as a country or even as communities themselves because we used to have that liberty as well i mean borders of uh what we considered acceptable behavior within christendom hmm. such as you know 
the sanctity of the family, the sanctity of marriage, whether or not a pastor can actually say what the Bible says rather than having to make sure that he's not going to get in trouble with it from a tax collector or just from people who are going to harass him on the street. We don't have – we really don't have any of these abilities anymore, but it's more a matter of the fact that we have not enforced those ourselves. They're still there legally. All those protections are still there, at least for the moment. They haven't been torn down. But if we continue to back down every time we're challenged, eventually even those legal protections will be gone because they will be stripped. There's no power in paper, um, de jure versus de facto. And what we're faced with right now is that we, and this is something I think the LCMS, and you know, as the majority of us are LCMS here, or Lutheran in general, Wells, um, I know we also have some Anglicans um, in the broader network, um, but just the place for Christendom unto itself, the idea that there is a Christian identity that needs to be preserved, and then there are independent um, Lutheran, Anglican, Baptist, you know, whatever have you, we have to work together as brothers in Christ, as one body, but as separate parts of that body, we have to identify ourselves by those separate parts and not get confused at who we are. And I think that's a lot of where us as Lutheran, I can say, we've lost a lot of that identity. I mean, look at what happened when we translated from the German to the English in the early 1900s. We lost a vast majority of our tradition to the point where we didn't understand it anymore because that language was lost. I mean, it goes down to the importance of words have power. Um, it's the conveyance of ideas that is important. And so it's recapturing that spirit. It's setting out a place where we can be Lutheran, we can be Baptist, we can be Christian. It's all over an overarching umbrella. Um, but then it also gets down to, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Christian? We need to reanalyze these things. We're not really, really analyze. We need to re-grasp these things and live them out in every aspect. And that involves owning both the left and the right-hand kingdoms. Um, that's something I've been saying here which people can disagree with, but my premise is that it's either rule or be ruled. If you want to be ruled by Christians, you have to be ruled by Christians. If nobody's going to do it, we have to do it. To say that we're going to abdicate and say that there is a separation of church and state, which I know is a, a sensitive topic for a lot of people because it's ingrained in us as Americans. The religion is what we believe. Policy is formed by what we believe. And so if you think that we yes. can divorce what we believe yeah. and what we do, I view that as extremely foolish. There's no reason to say, oh, I'm going to do something because I don't believe it, other than saying, I, you might be possessed by a certain idea, but then that's possession of an idea. That's not an actual belief, which you can get into that whole discussion. The premise, though, to the whole point is we need to distinguish those boundaries. We need to distinguish ourselves as individuals, members within the church, and then we need to identify the church as individual from the sacral world and what we want to do to be, remain individual in that sense this isn't individualism it is it is recapturing identity who are we what does it mean to be christian so and i think the word you use there recapturing that's really really important because you know i said essentially reasserting but to a great extent we've forgotten who we even are so it's addressing the issue of who is we and actually yeah. permitting ourselves to think of ourselves as us 
not as you know some abstract collective, but actually as as people who right. work together, who are who are duty bound to care for each other, um, not just and, for the near the neighbor, but for the whole. Uh, and right. sort of springboarding off of what Adam was saying is to some extent also enforcing that to the extent that we can, you know, via church discipline, which is non-existent. Yeah, when uh, Alexander was talking about um, <clears throat> walls, I was thinking what's inside of those walls. Um, and connecting it with something that I think is a quite interesting example, and I think it's something that Kuntz has brought up before too, and that is this, this concept of communities with their own governance almost that exist. Probably one of the biggest ones, biggest example, would be the villages in Florida, which is the nation's largest, probably the world's largest retirement community almost fully governed on a, on its own. They actually provide a lot of their own utilities and services right inside of Florida, inside of this country. I think about that a little bit because I think what we're wanting is a Christian community, right? It's not that we're talking here about converting at the point of a sword, right? We're more so just desiring community where we can live and have families and go to church without being concerned for what the government might tell us to do tomorrow. Exactly. I was just going to say, I brought it up in one of the conversations in, I think it was the Brief History of Power channel, this idea that that we don't have the choice to self-rule, not even of our children. Uh, I compared it to the Divshirme that you know the Muslims instituted against Christians in the lands that they controlled. Orthodox Christians are really familiar with that where uh, they would take the children away from the nobles and raise them uh, from the age of about five up until uh, getting close to whatever the age of majority was at the time. And then they'd send them back after they've been fully Islamized, and then that's now the heir of that country. And he will be the one who rules when his parents die. And that's what's been done to us. Yeah, and that, that aspect of education is is intensely relevant, uh, especially as in a lot of places, the institutions that we built for educating our children have collapsed, are on the verge of collapse. Um, and we are living under the illusion that either they can be maintained uh, or that the harm that they're doing in the cases where they are operating uh, is is valuable. It was only, uh, was it last year or two years ago, we had the, the major issue, at least in the LCMS, of the uh, Concordia University, Wisconsin, that uh, absolutely blew up. And that was that was a mess. I, I have not seen if there was actually any repentance that occurred as a result of that. And ultimately, the problem there is they're just trying to be a university like everybody else, which is going to lead them down that path eventually. Uh, and in the public yeah. schools, there is nothing preventing our any children, especially I mean, elementary schools, uh, but but even up until they leave, from being bombarded with messages of anti-truth that are directly, it seems, intended to undermine Christianity, intended to lead to a nation of chaos, a people that cannot think, cannot operate, and can't actually live virtuously because they've been taught to align themselves with their passions and whatever is convenient at the moment and to go with the crowd. 
so our education system is part of the problem and our attempts to have our own parallel institutions uh, in so far as we've ha had them in the past in many cases have failed yes yeah. um and that's kind of a twofold thing there's I wish I had had this quote ready. I didn't think we'd end up going in this direction. I don't remember where I've read it, and I don't remember the exact words, but as close as I can get, it was something along the lines of uh, teachers must understand that they are the new class of priests in a new religion. Uh, and th this was encouraging them to act in that role. This was not mm -hmm. a criticism from our side. It was saying you know go out and teach against what the parents believe and this was oh 30 40 years ago i can't remember the exact year that it was written but it was uh at least in the 90s maybe earlier and then you also go back to the fact uh and uh dr Koontz has spoken about this at l at least uh briefly when he did the education series I mean, our educational system in America was designed from the beginning ultimately to fail as being a Christian education system. It, right. it was built on communist principles. So I have a 17-year-old who's about to graduate. <clears throat> he has gone to Wells private schools his entire life. I'm basically telling him and uh, he has gotten approval at a public university. And I'm telling him, you have never been in this situation before. You have mm -hmm. never been in a situation where you're going to be surrounded by people that actually hate Christianity and will specifically attack it in the cleverest yes. ways they know how. You've never been there, and you need to have your head screwed on straight, you know, kind of thing. These are the types of conversations I'm having. I went to a public university mm -hmm. myself. They will work to undermine it. It will not be passive. It won't be neutral. They will know what they're doing, and they will work hard at it. And a lot of them are smart. Oh, yeah, they're, they're oh. wild. Yep. Now, when it comes to our, our institutions, the Concordias and, uh, uh, the, you know, at Wisconsin Lutheran College, uh, you know, Wells stuff, the MLC and WLC, and, and then uh, ELS has Bethany and these types of things. I, you, know, you know, guys, I mean, I'm a fan of Luther Classical College, and, uh, you know, partially because of this, because when I consider those colleges, I'm not sure what's better, an overt attack on your Christianity or heretical versions of Christianity slipped under your radar. Yeah. I, don't oh, I know think the better. overt attack is much preferable. Yeah, prefer, I, that's my opinion. Direct shot. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. Yeah, at least at a public university, you know they're going to hate it and attack it. Whereas at Concordia or at WLC and what have you, You've got pastors starting to sneak in worldly philosophies into this stuff, and uh, I think that's actually worse than yes. than the overt attack. Uh, so that's what. So I like this Luther classical. To me, if I'm thinking like Venn diagrams here, you know, kind of Luther sits Luther classical college sits in a in a totally different place. Like it wants to be actually a Lutheran education, which I don't think the other two really have. <laughs> so. Uh, it, you know, or a place, a safe place, where you can continue to grow in your Christianity and you won't be attacked or you won't be stuffed with Trojan horses full of heresy. Yeah, it's a big topic to me, especially as I have uh, one boy about to do it, and then I have another boy who will be going into uh, high school soon. And I know time flies. 
So yeah, um, yeah, I'm with you on this. And and that to me comes back to that community a little bit. That it almost feels too late for me and my kids. Um, like I said, I'm 47. I've got you know this type of thing, but I I I almost like the idea of building even generational thinking. You know, building something yeah. for the next. You know. Uh, yeah. Somebody's oh, going to yeah. have to sacrifice. Somebody's going to have to sacrifice and, you know, do what they can, even if they don't get to see the benefits in their own. Exactly. You know? So, yeah. And if you look at the screen there, uh, you'll see uh, that's my oldest son. And I pretty much told him to be here because he needs to hear how this is going down. Because eventually I'm not going to be here to be the one building anything. It's going to fall to him next. Mm -hmm. So kind of springboarding off of all that is Jeremy you posted you're 24 right you're out Maryland native that's Hesiod. I am the North oh, Carolina yeah um anyway Hesiod you posted in there so not Jeremy sorry um Hesiod posted LCMS Maryland native itching to leave unemployed college dropout comms um hasn't really been working out 24 years old I myself I'm 26 and the thing that has really stuck out to me is, and I'm not in the same place as Hesiod, you know, I, I have a job, I have a good, I have some friends in the area, um, mainly through YAF, I was on the College Republicans board back in college, and all my friends came from the Young Americans for Freedom, I've been blessed with a couple of guys from there who live actually in the area, and they're strong Christians of different confessions. But the thing that getting to generational building, the community, the, the this idea of identity, something that I stressed before, this idea of having a a communal identity within the church does not exist, especially within Lutheranism. What I say by that is we're not self-aware enough to say, okay, if our young men and women are thrown to the wolves, the wolves will eat them. We say, well, the wolves are just like dogs and the dogs are fine because we own dogs. This, this, can't, this can't happen. The church needs to become aware it needs to actually start doing things to benefit the next generations it will take time it will be a generational effort but i do i you know i want a wife and children that's the first thing i'll tell anybody the reason why i'm where i'm at with my theology and where i'm at with um, my understanding of the social political system and what we need to do is i do not, i want a wife and family i want to provide for them for the best that i can and what I'm going through right now, what other men like me are going through right now who are alone, who don't have communities, who are famished for something that means something and there's nothing out there, I don't want my children to go through this. We can do better. We must do better, else we will not yes. exist. The, the, numbers, the, the numbers aren't showing up. We're gonna, yeah, we know. We've heard from Kuntz. We've heard from Fist that if we focus on the building, we will lose the church. The buildings need to coordinate together. This is a concerted effort. One of the ideas that I had, and this is something that floors me, again, getting back to the single loan thing, the Walter League. What happened to the Walter League? It was a networking of young Lutherans nationwide and international to bring the youth together to actually do something. Well, the communists got a hold of it, and instead of just purging the communists and doing some work, they just outright culled it, and it was never revitalized. There is nothing for young adults. There is no connection. So when you throw when you throw your young men into college and you throw especially your young women into college, which might ruffle some feathers, which shouldn't occur to begin with because they're going to become whores to the world, they get outside and nobody can become families. There are no families to be had because there's nobody who wants a family and there's nobody in a position to have a family. 
this needs to be resolved. And that, that the idea of community and identity needs to be stressed. Who are we? What are we supposed to do? One of the things I was developing on just this morning, because I was playing around with different monikers from different political systems I thought of earlier, is all of our actions are formed by faith. And that faith, this idea of individual rights, this individualism, um, where we can choose, I have the right to life, I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As again, as Americans, God gave us life. Um, it is not ours to give or take away. God gave us that life. And you can take away whenever. It is not a right, it is a responsibility. Um, yes. So as Christians, we are not given rights, and some people have probably heard this. You don't have rights. You have responsibilities to your Lord and your Creator and those below you. So we are formed through faith, and we, through our faith, acknowledge our rights, and we act on them, and we carry them out with honor. Faith, um, faith, responsibility, honor. That is, that is the core of what the Christian needs to be. Yeah, there's very much so. There's been very little care for the future in the, in the last generation and and we're seeing the fruits of it in the fact that this generation is lost uh, in many ways and looking desperately for these communities uh so i mean full admission i'm in the same i'm in the same generational boat i uh i'm 20 am i 26 i think i'm 26 something like that um and sound like more Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's funny how, how fast it's hard to, it's hard to remember. And, um, I am, I'm very fortunate to very recently be married. And that honestly was the single greatest stressor for so long, uh, that it was something I wanted and I had no idea how to achieve it. I had no idea how to find a woman who would actually be a good wife and who wanted to be a mother, uh, who wanted to hold to the Christian faith and God be praised. I found her, uh, but more accurately, you know, God be praised. He, he threw her at me and, um, I wasn't much I could do, but say, okay, I guess I'm sure. Thank you. Uh, it, but some of that just, some of that just came about. That's not the way we should try to handle it as a people though. We shouldn't assume, well, if we do nothing, then God will be able to do everything and everything will work out just fine. There's there's a difference between receiving and doing nothing, and the there's there's an aspect to certain. I believe it's the Hebrew word for for receive is also to take. There's there's an aspect of of activity. This is not to say that by our own works we're doing anything, but it simply means that when somebody puts something in your hand, you don't just let it fall. You you take it. You you take the responsibility as Trent was saying of doing something with what you have and if we're going to operate as a community we actually have to think about the responsibilities that we have communally to each other as well as the responsibilities we have in our own vocations and the whole thing has fallen apart there has been I mean not just the the transition from German to English in our theological literature but the massive shift in our cultural assumptions we live in an age of sorcery. That's how we can talk to each other. This is a palantir functionally by which yes. we are gazing upon our, our, our brothers from far away. And that's how we can see each other at all, hear each other at all. They're 
dangerous tools and we have no idea how to use them. But they're also incredibly valuable. And so if we are to use them wisely, to, to, to continue using that analogy, because it's, it's really the only fantasy analogy, or the best fantasy analogy that I think I can come up with for the computer. If we're going to use them wisely, we must become great men. We must embrace the the higher, the better blood that is within us. Um, not not the, not any racial thing, but actually, yes, the race of Christian, the race of those who have been blood bought, who who belong to Christ, who the fact that we are have a different identity as Christians means that we don't have to follow the same structures as everyone else. And in fact, we have a duty to do something better. Uh, yeah. Everything has to flow from that identity. And so that's where, that's where our first principles will come from. It won't come from us looking at, well, they did this over here and look at worked. It's, it's going to be, this is what the scripture says you ought to do as a people, especially as a di diaspora. If you want to be not a diaspora, here's what you do. There's, there's tons of stories in the scriptures. And when we do, Lord willing, have in our communities righteous kings, there are plenty of stories about how that can go bad. But it doesn't mean you don't try. No. We don't even have judges. We are, we are living in the, at the end of the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Exactly. And we got we to gotta solve that. And, and the first uh, step is prayer, but pray seriously, right? Believe it. And one thing that you brought up there, uh, the fact that you called us a diaspora, um, we're, I mean, we're even bad at that because generally speaking, a diaspora, to some extent, they work to maintain their cultural identity and I mean, we haven't even maintained an American identity, let alone a Christian identity, <laughs> right? We've let cinema and television and now the Internet teach our children who they're going to be rather than passing on the good things that were given to us by our parents and our grandparents. Yeah, so getting back to receiving and taking, this is just the parable of the talents. That's all this is. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, about learning from the past and moving forward is, yeah, certain things worked in the past because they were biblical and because I believe that there's a framework within Scripture, within how God operates within the order of creation. If you structure everything off of that structure, you'll be fine. The problem is, is when, we try, when we try to deviate, the father of the household, all authority, as we know, this is fourth commandment. The state authority is an extension of the father. That's all that is. The state itself is an extension of the household. And when you look at it that way, and you look at what the father needs to do for the mother and then also for the children, and that interaction going up and down from the heavenly father all the way down to the children, the father calls up his children. He gives them opportunities for them to develop themselves so that they can, because if he does it for them, and this is why I get back to responsibility versus rights, because responsibility means you are called to action. Nobody else is going to do it for you. If you have a right, that's passive. You consume it. Mm -hmm. I, the consumption, obesity, it's all the same thought. The Father gives those opportunities. God gives us opportunities, and then he gives us talents, naturally talents, and that flows from the Father to the actual children, capital F.
um, down to the children by the uh, worldly father and mother. He, give, he gives them opportunities to expand and to grow. Um, and then is the function of the children to embody the image of their father. This is, again, fourth commandment. But then also to support him, again, fourth commandment, because it's that image, it's that will. Um, what is the will of oh, the father? Christ did this. This was the whole point. This is why he was in communication with him. This is why father-son communication is important to understand not only who you are, but also what your family is set out to do. Hopefully this is lined with Christ, which it should be. If you're abiding in the word, abiding with your heavenly father, because reading scripture is just self-awareness. It is awareness of who you are dead to sin and who you are dead to Christ. And then it is living out that simple life, saint and sinner. But the, the, the state needs to be structured in such a way. The society, the leadership, the local leadership all needs to be structured in such a way that it supports the family first and foremost, because that is the bedrock. That is the function of the state. This is the first location where the audio that I have cuts out. I'll try to summarize the points that I made in the following section uh, and just wanted to let you know this is not the live recording. Continuing this idea of the fourth commandment and the father, I then spoke uh, about the importance of the fourth commandment and all that it has, all the edges of it. Specifically, first, honor your father and your mother. So, honor them. Actually honor them. Give them respect. Especially because that gives your children a method they can then follow. If all you do is talk about the evils that your parents have done and the bad habits that they passed down or the ways that they did not do well enough to give you the world you wanted. If all you do is belittle the generation before you, that is all that your children will know how to do. And so if you actually want to pass on a heritage, give your children the tools to respect you, to respect your parents, to respect your grandparents. The way that I have found to do this and that I discussed in the conversation was recognizing the tools that were used against them, recognizing the difficulty of the battle that was before them, that the media and the culture were both so turned against Christian values that it's a miracle our forefathers have remained Christian at all. That, that we have been given the faith in any measure. So the fact that we actually do have some heritage from our parents of the faith, the fact that some of their generation did hold to it, gives us something to pass on to our children and good that we can speak about our parents. It gives good that we can share. And giving our children that habit of honoring parents must start with us honoring our own. It doesn't mean we gloss over the ways that they may have erred. It simply means that we must respect the battle they fought and seek as much as possible to speak well of them to our children. The other edge of the fourth commandment is that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. 
So there's two pieces of this. The first, that it may go well with you. That This is what I spoke of previously. To a certain extent, honoring your father and mother is going to make your life easier. Recognizing why they made certain decisions will give you insight into the world you live in. And honoring them will pass on that tradition of respecting tradition. The living long in the land implies that if you do not honor your father and mother, you're going to be kicked out. Leviticus goes into this in several ways regarding sexual morality, but there's a broader reality underneath that. If you stray from the path of your parents, you're going to end up on your own. You're going to end up afloat. You're going to end up without any tether to the place that you are, and you Without that tether, you'll float away to wherever you can find a tether, whether it's culture or money, resources, or some other family that you uh, you marry into. You know, this happens a lot. If you want to dwell in a place, if you want to dwell in a land, you must honor your parents. You must honor those who came before you. You must honor the heritage that you've been given and seek to pass something on to your children in that place. If you would dwell long in the land, then have that honor for both your mother and your father. With with patriarchy, we do tend to talk about the fathers a lot, but you need to respect your mother. Honor your mother. A woman who does not feel honored will not want to be everything that she can be as a woman. And so if you would have a good godly woman, give her honor. Give her respect. The, the degradation of that in our culture is not a good thing, and it does not help the trajectory that we have moved towards as a society of this divide between men and women. So the end of this conversation in leading into the next section was talking about those promises given to Israel that they would dwell long in the land, um, that there was a specific promise to them that from that, that their line in that land would come the Savior of the world. But there was also an aspect of that that was wisdom that we as modern people can embrace. There's wisdom to the ways God gave to his people so they would endure in their land. Continuing now with the conversation. And the fact is, even if the promises are just to them, the, the principle plays out over and over in multiple cultures. Um, and it's always, you know, it's like an ebb and flow of whether or not you're actually going to go with what your fathers did or if you're going to try to go your own way. I mean, even the, the parable of the prodigal son kind of treats that a bit. A lot of what you said, uh, I posted this in the, uh, the Discord on my paper, but uh, this is a... This is a song. It's it's originally written in a, a Quebecian French, but I've got the translation here, and I, I think it just really says a lot of what you were saying there. Uh, the name of the song is uh, uh, De Generation. Uh, your great-great-grandfather, he cleared the land. Your great-grandfather, he plowed the land, and your grandfather made the land profitable, and your father sold it to become a state employee. As for you, my boy, you don't know what you're going to do. In your small one-bedroom, way too expensive, cold in the winter, some someone wants to become an owner, 
over you, and you dream at night to own your own small plot of land. Then it moves to the women. Your great-great-grandmother, she had 14 children, and your great-grandmother had almost as many. And your grandmother had three. It was enough. And your mother didn't want any. You were an accident. As for you, my girl, you change your partners all the time. And when you do something stupid, you get out of it with an abortion. But there are mornings you wake up crying when you dream at night of a big table surrounded by children. Your great-great-grandfather lived in misery, and your great-grandfather collected pennies. And your grandfather, a miracle, he became a millionaire. And your father inherited it and put it into his retirement. As for you, young one, you owe your ass to the government. <laughs> no way to get a loan in a banking institution. To calm your urges, to hold up the cashier, you read books about voluntary simplicity. Your great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they knew how to celebrate. And your great-grandparents were swinging at the parties. And your grandparents saw the rock and roll period, and your parents were in the discos. That's where they met. As for you, my friend, what do you do with your evening? Just turn off your TV. You shouldn't stay inside. Luckily, in life, some things refuse to change. Put on your nicest clothes, because tonight we're going dancing. I think it's astounding that we have even lost the ability to go to a dance. You know how important that uh, was in history? Dances. Exactly. The way the way women used to wear dirndls in old country, the where where they put their bow on the dirndl indicated if they're taken single or not interested. This was dancing was a extremely social practice. This is why the beer hall was so important. That's where they had the dances. The dances were at the beer hall, and the beer hall is also where all the men met after the workday before they'd go home. It, yeah. It's just connected, but still just going off of dances, you know. Here, unfortunately, the audio cuts out again, and it's incredibly unhelpful uh, because trying to recall exactly what was discussed is something of a sleuthing puzzle. So I'll try my best. The next topic becomes where do men come together? We, we don't have this as a culture anymore. We don't have places where we can be united and we can be coordinated. And so much of the challenge that we're then going to be working towards is finding our beer halls, so to speak. doesn't mean it actually has to be a beer hall. It simply means men have to come together. Because right now, what's the adventure that we're pursuing? What's the story that we're telling? And so that's the that's this next thread that I, I think I found in the in the, the what recording I have, the way that we need to approach our pursuits is as a long, long story with many seasons, many chapters, many books. And rather than trying to solve all the problems immediately, and even in this generation, to conceive of the pursuits that we are endeavoring in as a multi-generational effort, as a long long plan, but with the vision in mind. And I compared it to The Hobbit, uh, which is a, a quite good good book. And the story of the adventure there is, well, we're going to go to this mountain. Okay. So from the very beginning, you know, you're going to go to the mountain and there's a dragon there. But before you can get to fighting the dragon, first 
you have to get out your door, let alone the other adventures that come along the way, the Misty Mountains and the the Mirkwood. Forget that. Step one, the first part of the adventure is get out your door. And frankly, in that adventure, the only way he gets out the door is someone comes in to shake it up. So you need someone who can lead, who's willing to go and find other people to bring them on this adventure. And then once you get out the door, you realize that you're not quite as prepared as you wanted to be. You run into terrors that are much bigger than you can handle. But thanks be to God, you're not fighting alone. And the the adventure will bring you to a better place at the end of it. But you can't look ahead. You can't look to the end. You need to have the end in view as your trajectory, as your goal. But if you try to solve the entire problem all at once, you'll get nowhere because you'll be stuck. Uh, you'll be stuck reading your books and maps. You'll be stuck as an armchair philosopher trying to solve the problem with your your in your own world and not never leaving your house, never actually going and trying to bring people together. That's where the beer hall gave the opportunity. Uh, excuse me. That's where the the beer hall was the connection. If you want to get started, find a way to build that. Find a way to build a place where your community can then be structured. You're going to need a community. It's going to need to be founded on real, true, enduring things if you're going to endure. If you want to look out for the next generation. You can't you can't just go nowhere. There's a comment here about yeah the Greater Wyoming uh, Project or Greater Idaho Project. That's great and all, but you've got limitations based on your geography that you have to be cognizant of. And geography is not something that we tend to think about, but it's entirely true. So we need to take this into account. We need to understand who we are, where we are, what the world actually looks like, how the world actually works, and think about these things. Because if we don't, we won't actually be successful. We'll be shooting ourselves in the foot at the very beginning, especially if we never go out the door, especially if we never just get started with the first chapter, the first section. I don't recall the exact transition, but I believe it had something to do with building a group, building a party for your adventure based on your community, based on your locality. We shared where we were from and the different areas that we were uh, originating and different people who might be proximate to each other, taking a look at that geography, continuing with the recording. But yeah, at the moment, these guys that are here, those are the areas that somehow, some way, we've got to find a way to take responsibility for. So something I was thinking of next steps, and this kind of pigeon tails off of my thoughts on Walter League, and this is also some of my formulation for how we want to organize long-term with the goal of a Christian emperor with you know, Lutheran Baptist kings um, for each denomination. So I'll, I'm just going to run through this quick. Um, it's very scalable, and then the actions will be quite direct for, for those who are not Lutheran. So when we have our, what is it, every three years, or is it every five years? If a pastor could speak out, who knows? Um, we have district conventions. So every three years, yeah. we have district conventions. We're within each congregation, 
a lay delegate is voted and then he is paired with his pastor and they go to the district conference and there there are certain resolutions and, and items that are brought up before the assembly that are voted upon um, and then it goes back to the individual churches and then when is circ well circuit is going on at the same time so effectively the way the structure is is the system retains the same we just scale it the same um, so you start at the church level with the lay delegate and his pastor. The next level up from that is circuit, which is the the immediate local area churches. This is technically the sec the section right below district, because district for Northwest uh, Wisconsin is pretty much a line above Madison all the way into the UP. Um, it's a large section, so the it goes local parish, circuit, uh, district, and then there is no regional. It just then goes to the national convention, if I'm not mistaken, which the way it's working right now is that the circuit group meets and elects a lay delegate, and then a pastor from a different congregation accompanies them, and then they go to the national conference. The way I have this envisioned is that we go local, and then circuit, and then district, and we create a regional if we don't need state. Um, some states might we might want to do state and then we do regional. So effectively, what you would have is you have the church layman and his pastor. There's an elected layman and his pastor, and then they go to these circuit meetings. These circuit meetings then elect a circuit lay delegate as they have, and it is paired with a pastor from a different. Um, and bear with me because this is just a little long-winded, but it'll make sense here. Pair with the pastor from a different congregation. That then is representation at the district level. And then you keep doing that district to state, state to regional, state to national. And this occurs for each denomination that is a part of the system. It's scalable. So effectively what we have within the church, and this is, I, we're trying to get away from bureaucracy. That's a different discussion that has occurred in the um, stewards chat in the previous. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to have, it's still elective. It is not hereditary. And each level you go up increases your tenure. Because one of the things that we need to do is we like term limits and we really like um, the idea of not giving people power. Well, what that does is that nobody can think long term. So each level you go up at the, say, at the church level would be one year at circuit three and then five, 10, 15, 20. Um, King Emperor, you're looking at life. Um, effectively, you're so. What you're doing is at each level, you have a council of laymen and pastors. Laymen are responsible for voting on matters of the left-hand kingdom, and the clergy are responsible for voting on matters on the right-hand kingdom. They work in conjunction together as they're both under the kingdom of God. And it, you're, the whole point is trying to keep it small. You have too many people talking at once. You never get anything done. So you need it small, you need it scalable, and you need it um, to have... There's also clauses, something like, you know, standard veto power, two-thirds majority. So, yeah, you have a king there for its life, but the council rotates every 20 years. And if it's two-thirds majority veto a matter, it's gone. That's the, that's the kind of, just imagine that's the base structure. So building off of that, because we need to start communicating. That's the biggest thing. Any organization will fall apart if there's no communication. And getting down mm -hmm. to the family is the basis of the state. When needs to occur is we need to focus on the family. The way we do that, I believe, is we connect churches on a circuit level. It's already done within the Lutheran church, 
but we actually get them talking families to families and we get them involved because the individual congregations are not big enough to be self-sustaining because like I said before, the birth rates aren't there. So we get the congregation speaking at a circuit level and then we scale up. The circuit would be the first stop, trying to get everybody speaking, hey, what, who's in my circuit? What church is in my circuit? That my pastor had a, a, a term for it, and I don't remember at the time, but they get together and they talk on a regular basis. That's one of the things that they're supposed to do. Um, well, if we had all the fathers speaking within that circuit and looking out for their children, because, again, I like to bring the Walter League back, and that's kind of why I mentioned it before, is we'd effectively start small, circuit level. It's like, okay, let's get the churches talking to get their children married within the church. Forget bars, forget universities, forget hookup apps. None of this works. Um, what works are fathers looking up for their daughters and fathers looking up for their sons because marriage is actually, it's a community-driven incentive. You need, the, the fathers and the mothers have knowledge of the network and wisdom to be able to look at, okay, this is a good individual, this is a bad individual, and then work with their sons and daughters for individuals that are attractive to their children and they bring, it's a, it's a cooperative marriage. It's not an arranged marriage um, unless you get technical with it, but it's a cooperative marriage. So that is pretty much, the, well, in my mind. That's what an arranged marriage was. Yeah, in, in the, tra the very traditional sense, yes, because that way it was actually functional. So in yes. terms of actionable, and people can disagree with that, that is kind of a, a, a short little vision of what I have. And what we can start doing is just getting the fathers talking within the congregations, get the congregations, the actual people, not just a lay delegate and a pastor, but get the people working together because then it will be local and each group can start developing larger communities. Once we have circuit, then we can go on a district um, and then we can go on to state, regional, all that stuff. But the mm -hmm. first thing we need to do is we need children, which means we need our young people to be married. And this, it's not a plug for me but it's one of those things like looking at the <laughs> looking at the world and it's like, okay, what are we going to do going forward? How do we fix this? What's wrong? There's a lot of stuff that's wrong. And the first thing that's wrong is the formation of the family. If there is no family, there is no life because there's no means to bring about that new life. Editor again. I jumped in at this point to talk about demographics. Not only are the LCMS's demographics poor, but demographics in the entire developed world are below replacement. We have large populations that are retiring and smaller populations coming in to fill the back. The issue is that the church should know better. We should know better than to not have children because it's, it's what we're given to do to be fruitful and multiply. Continuing with the recording. Yes, we know better. We know better. Springtail off of that, and you might be saying this, but the reason Ukraine is occurring right now is because this is the last time ever that Russia will have the manpower to do it. If they do not succeed and they don't take geographical borders, such as forests, rivers, and mountains, because the, the imaginary line thing does not work. That doesn't matter. No. That does not matter at all. It's rivers and mountains. Those are natural borders. Again, natural law, natural. Getting back to natural, the land will spit itself out. The nature will spit out what is unnatural. This is all first order. That's all. That's, that's the attack. That's the zeitgeist is tearing apart first order. This the fabric of reality. Um, so the reason why China or why Russia is doing what it can't, what it needs to is because in a generation as a people group, they do not exist period. 
same thing with the Chinese. They have one generation and they're done. They, they, they will, the, the people group, the, the Chinese Mandarin group, the Rus, the Rus will cease to exist. The Chechens will exist though. Bingo. And the Hungarian. Yes. Editor. The Chechens are a Muslim people and in many ways, we could tie their maintained demographics to their faith, their sincere beliefs in their faith. This doesn't mean that Islam has cracked the code on demographics, as many might lead you to believe, but it simply means that there's a reason that in Russia, Putin is trying to get the Russian Orthodox faith into the public sphere. Religion is a viable means by which to instill a reproductive ethic into people. And we already have religion, so we shouldn't need that incentive. Continuing with the recording. Rome fell because they stopped having children. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why every single empire falls because it stops having children. There's always a uh, direct correlation between uh, well, wealth and people choosing not to have children. The richer you get, the less likely you are to actually want to do that. And yeah, there's some practical reasons for that because, you know, with a king, got too many sons, and yeah, you're going to have issues dividing the kingdom. But even even apart from that, I mean, here we are in America, and uh, like I detailed in my paper, I mean, even right now in, in a pretty terrible recession with massive inflation, we're still materially more wealthy than our great-grandparents were. We have more available to work with just because they are the products of being an empire the size we are. And yet the excuse that we can't have children, the excuse given for abortion, the excuse given for uh, just mass use of birth control within marriage is I can't afford to have another. It's inconvenient. We have more wealth per capita than any people in history. Yes. That has pretty much ever existed. Editor. The next speaker was having to leave relatively soon and referenced a comment that I had made in a deleted section about how we have big conferences about what we should be doing, but after the conference, you're not able to actually achieve anything when you go back home. So the conference feels great. The experience there coming together is wonderful and wholesome and you feel uplifted. But then when you get back into your own personal life, your own daily environment, you just don't feel motivated to achieve anything. You don't have the tools anymore. Continuing with the recording. Next call or something, we could uh, talk about blockers. I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on something Athanasius talked about uh, originally, which was, you know, we get together at these conferences, and I love doing it too. Last one for me was Return to Wittenberg. You, you know, I, we get together. You know, we love each other's company. It, it really bolsters our spirits and everything. You know, but then we go back into our individual communities. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's... I don't know. I'd like to dwell on that for a second. Like, what what are the mm-hmm. barriers to us working together? You know, because yeah. I, I think there's a lot of thoughts that come to mind for me as to why it's difficult to do that. Editor, in the vein of that topic, I then presented a f- four, three to four steps 
that we should as as individuals take as the first step towards actually achieving our ends towards actually having a productive output for this meeting and for this group something that we can pursue in small steps going off of that earlier idea of the chapters this is writing down the first paragraph or at least beginning the story and that step is knowing your own context in the long-term trajectory trent had labeled that the community and the circuit were the two lowest levels of organization this is the first step find out who's in your circuit you want to find the churches that are in your area who are already connected, where the pastors, in theory, are already talking to each other, already communicating. This doesn't mean that they'll be aligned with you, because, in fact, they may be at odds with the vision that you have. But know who they are, know where they are, and keep track of them. They're the territory of people who share your faith. These are people who nominally are your allies, are your brothers. And knowing at the very least where they are, who they are, and building an, a familiarity with your context is critical to being able to own it. And if you, in fact, intend to have a large, prosperous community, you need to own that territory. In addition, so that's the first step. The second step, in addition to finding out those of your own denomination of in your circuit, Find other churches in your area. Build out a map of all of those who call themselves Christian, all the places, all the hubs, all of the embassies of the eternal kingdom, as far as they can call themselves, right? the places where the faithful gather together. Now, they're not all going to be good. In fact, there are going to be some that are completely hostile to you. But know where those churches are. Who are those churches? Who are those potential allies? Then, find the men in your actual congregation who could be aligned with your principles, with your ideas. List them out. Just go through a church directory and list all the guys you can think of who could work, who you could work with. If that list is small, then there you go. You've got very few starting points. It'll simplify the process. If it's large, you've got a potential to build something quite powerful. doesn't matter. Get a list of guys. Start looking at who your potential allies could be. Own that these are the people near you who you can influence and who can influence you and who can influence others. Own that. And finally, build an actual map. So look at your surroundings. See the natural features of the of the environment, the the rivers, the mountains, the the streets. Streets are a big deal now. What, where are the major population centers? Where are the economic centers? How does the world actually look beneath you? With these steps, you can actually begin to get a picture of what your world looks like, which, if you're going to take a step, is a good starting point. And as we're simply trying to take ownership of that responsibility, it behooves us to map out where we're at. Again, number one, find your churches aligned with you in your denomination, in your circuit, in your nearby area. Two, find other churches, not of your denomination, 
who are in your area, specifically those who may be aligned with your principles. Anybody who names pro-life on their website is a good start. Third, find the men in your actual local congregation who are aligned with you. And fourth, build a map of your surroundings, taking into account the major features of your proximity. It doesn't have to be perfect right now. The point is to take the first step. Continuing with the recording. I'm I'm just going to say it's concerning. It is concerning to me how on the same wavelength. This this is the first time outside of like my little group with Adam and Jeremy that I've been on such a same wavelength because I actually have a map pulled up of my area right now. (laughs) There is, there is a discussion. I think you're here yesterday for it, but there's a discussion about video games and Titus, you'll probably find this fascinating. Um, But the idea that there is a, inbred nature of man that must be satisfied and these are good things this is the nature of man um it is to provide for it is to have um it is to be strong is to be godly and if these things are not satisfied in a natural way in a way that is productive going out and doing things in the world then we will turn to matters such as video games to glaze over to get our fix it's a drug it is artificial masculinity yes yeah yes yes that's That's exactly that's That's exactly exactly what it is is. that's exactly what it is i was gonna say yeah what i said yesterday is the the ones that always the ones that hooked me the most were the ones about you know going into the wilderness and carving out a space it's no wonder it's no wonder they're so compelling to people today because you can't do that yeah, now Meanwhile, I can I can go and build my garden, which is you know that scratches that itch to some degree. But yeah, and mine is Marshall. I'm I'm very militaristic, so I always got into the Milsom stuff. The stuff that I get the most enjoyment from is having a group of four, five, six guys. We drop in in some sort of combat situation, at, you know, not an arcade shooter game, but an actual shooter game. We work together. That is extremely satisfying, and that's something that my YAF college group we're going to start actually trying to do that in real life. Do armed rocks and stuff like that there there are people and if and if you've paid attention there are men everywhere across the united states who want these things they don't mm-hmm. know how to express it sometimes but they want these things they want land they want families and they want to be strong the key is doing it most people don't want to lead that's one of the biggest things that i found working at my plant i'm an engineer engineers get a bad rap for not being social a plant engineer has to be social. What they do is they come in and they're a middleman between the operators and management. Operators need certain things, management needs certain things, and it's all in the benefit of the company. But you as the head of the operators says, okay, we have a mission, but I got to watch out for my guys, but I also need to communicate with them. The thing that I realized is most people, they know that there needs to be leadership, they know that things need to get done. It's just nobody wants to do it. And so it's our responsibility yeah. meant to step up and start leading because nobody else will. That's the whole premise of rule or be ruled. So there, there are a lot of men who want these things. They just are scared and alone and they don't know what to do. If we start building, people will come because there'll be something worth having. 